The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. If you're here with us last week, we got to see uh, Chris Thurt set the foundation for us for our Sermon on the Mount series. And he went through, <laughs> which is crazy, he like did the Bible in half an hour, Um, but he gave us a summation of the Old Testament especially, and he really defined for us what the kingdom of heaven is, so that we can understand what Jesus means as he refers to it um, in this series. And something that that came, that has come out of that talk for me, is just this place where I've never spent time dreaming about what it was like to actually live in the Garden of Eden. Like, the life that Adam and Eve got to experience for a while. I mean, it is what God says is the, that is the kingdom of heaven. That is being in perfect relationship with Jesus. And if you read through Genesis 1 and 2, you can't argue that God is a God who's passionate about his creation, about earth and the people that are in it. And if we lived in it, I think if we all collectively lived in the garden, like all that we would know is that we're loved by him. Like there would be no sense of fear or guilt, or shame, or anything that could stir, because we just are locked in the reality that we're loved, and that we're adored by him, and I think we would just be people that are so filled with joy, like, I can imagine us to be, like, little kids who, like, are just past when it comes to going to bed, because they don't want to go to bed, because they just want to be awake, because being awake is so much more fun, like, you get to play, and you get, like, you're free, and it's, like, someone telling you to go to bed is, like, the worst news. And, like, I think that's what the garden was like. Like, you never wanted to sleep because being awake was so much better. And and that's what we're talking about, like, the kingdom of heaven coming. It's, like, that that being your reality, like, that's where you just want to be all the time. And But we do read an event that changed it forever. Um, it changed the way that humans would interact with God. And the devil came to Eve, and he tempted her and Adam to doubt that God was for them. I mean, there's really what it really is. Like, they convinced them that God was withholding things from them. So they ate of the fruit of the tree of good and evil, and it, and it changed, and sin came in. But then God sent Jesus. Like, God sent Jesus to come and reconcile and reunite the world back to God in perfect relationship. So that we would actually get to experience glimpses of the Garden of Eden while we're here on earth. And tonight... We're going to dive in and look at. Um, we're going to look at what it means to be citizens of this new kingdom that Jesus says is at hand. Um, before I get into it, I'd love to pray because I need you to see a little bit. <laughs> so, um, dear Heavenly Father God, tonight is yours. Speak through me, Jesus. I pray that you read any sense of me trying to elevate myself. God, you're the one who sits on high, God, and I just pray that you humble us and. You meet with us, God. We need you, and we need your grace, God. And um, I just pray that these people would just come to discover your love tonight, God, that you would turn our worlds upside down so that in turn we can turn the world's um, life upside down, God. I pray that you would just possess us with the nature of Christ, which is love, Lord, and that it would stir a hunger in us to be the hands and feet to our communities, Lord. Please be here, God, and just speak through me tonight. Amen. Um. So, somebody who I've come to see as an incredible woman of faith, um, her name is Heidi Baker, and she has this quote where she says, I believe that the Sermon on the Mount is God's formula for revival. And as I read that, 
And as I've been digging into the Beatitudes myself and what I hope you find here tonight is the reality that I do believe that it's his recipe for the kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth that it is in heaven. And, um, but to get into it, Kelsey, we're going to put up the first slide. We're going to walk through the scripture together. So where we find ourselves is in Matthew chapter 5. And we'll start and read from verses 1 through 13. So, seeing the crowds, he, um, he being Jesus, went up to the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So, to give us some context about what's really going on in this passage, many would consider this text to be Jesus' commentary on the Ten Commandments, um, as the Hebrew people would have come to understand it. And if we consider this text in the time period that Jesus was speaking it, I think that the people, or disciples, and the people of Israel that he was talking to, I mean, these folks were not religious, per se. They were not, he was not talking to the scribes or the Pharisees or what you might think of as the, like, picture-perfect disciple. I mean, these people couldn't be more opposite than them, right? Um, and in first century, when Jesus is speaking this out loud, like, they would, I'm convinced that they thought he sounded outrageous. Like, this is crazy talk. Like, and you'll notice the word blessed that's come up in every sentence. Um, and when I think we think about the word blessed in English, that word has, it doesn't even come close to capturing the depth and the weight and the profundity of all that goes on inside that word. Like, the Greek word that Matthew puts in Jesus' mouth literally means one of two things. It means blessings on or God is with you. And the first thing that I want us to notice tonight that blessed is really, you can translate it with all of these words. Uh, Versus, as God is with us. But because there's all these kinds of layers and texture and backstory to this word, I found that I really believe that it's God's kingdom. It's his rule. It's his reign. It's his presence. His saving grace and reality that's coming over into your life and drawing out the exuberant joy and happiness. To me, it really comes close to the English word salvation, really. And as Jesus stands on the side of a mountain... And he looks out into a crowd of nearly 10,000 people. The word that he speaks over this motley crew of undesirables is blessed. Blessed are you. God is with you. He speaks it over the people who are poor in spirit, for those who are mourning, those who are weak, those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. What is Jesus doing? What are the beatitudes or these blessings that he's talking about? So we see that Jesus opens with, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, the the folks that he's talking to right now, like, they couldn't be more stuck in abject poverty. I mean, they are the beggars. They're They're the people who are in the gutter and the side of the road. They're the people that are there in so deep 
so so lost that they find themselves really in complete what you would call like spiritual bankruptcy. Like they had none. They were um, they had nothing to offer, and they realized where they were. They realized that they are poor in spirit. And he also mentions like blessed are those who are mourning, but they're going to be comforted. He said blessed are those who are meek. If you are meek in this time period, it really it really is looking or really means that like they're very oppressed. That they have these people who um, are over them and they feel like they're under the control of others and they find themselves just getting like, stomped on. And Jesus is saying, blessed are you. And he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And these folks he's talking to, I mean, they are outside of righteousness. They've got none. And Jesus is looking at them and saying, blessed are you. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Or blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. The peacemakers one really, as I dug into it culturally, stood out to me. I think all of us could say in the room, like, well, yeah, like, you would absolutely want to strive to be a peacemaker. Remember, we live in the Pacific Northwest, <laughs> and it is, like, hip to be a peacemaker. I mean, that's what we desire to be. It's culturally very relevant. Um, but in first century up in Galilee, the Jews were being oppressed by the Roman Empire. And there was another word for peacemaker in that time. You were a traitor if you were just pursuing to be a peacemaker. The Jews in Jesus' day, particularly the zealous religious Jews, were hungry for war with Rome. I mean, in fact, Israel goes to war with Rome and a few de- decades later, and then also in 120, uh, and, and that is what demolishes Israel as a nation for going on 2,000 years now. And the Jews were hungry for blood. They did not want peace. They wanted freedom. And Jesus comes to them and says, blessed are the peacemakers. To them it sounded like, blessed are the cowards who don't want to go to war with Rome. And as we sift through all these things, it causes me to ask the question, is God more present with us than we realize? Is God more present with us than we realize? To me it appears as I read through this list of things that God's blessing resides in places that should surprise us the most. Um, I mean, it's really interesting that the descriptions where Jesus is saying, blessed are you, or as we translated, God with you, is paired with words like mourning, or poor in spirit, or being outside of um, things that we think are righteous. But the message of the Beatitudes declares loudly that before you ever do any of these things, that this is where the kingdom of God resides. This is the gospel. And this is what I want us to capture tonight, that this is an upside-down kingdom that Jesus is talking about. If you go and you look at any of the other religions in the world, there's a few things that they all embody. First is that we have people chasing after this ultimate God, or gods, plural. The second thing is that you notice is that they recognize there's a gap between them and who God is. And the third thing is that religion just speaks of it functions as a ladder. And God's at the top of the ladder, and you're at the bottom of the ladder. And the reality of your walk um, in faith is that you'll be trying to climb the ladder. And if I were to paint this picture for you, insert the ladder. Um, <laughs> I'm here on the bottom ranks. And if I were to read this message, I'd be like, okay, um, all right, okay, I, I can be poor in spirit. Okay, I've made it to the first rank. Okay, hey, God, up there, I'm coming. Okay, what else did you say? Oh, I need to mourn. Okay, I'm going to mourn over the sins of the world. Okay, okay, next one. Okay, I am, and you're working, and you're constantly trying to step up on the stool, and but the more and more you go, the more it's just you, 
God is almost becomes unattainable, like he's unreachable. And we keep reaching out, but God seems not there. Is that Jesus? No, that's not the person of Jesus. Religion climbs the ladder to God, but our Father comes down the ladder to the people at the bottom ranks. God sent Jesus to the cross to step into human pain. God doesn't bring a ladder to us. He brings a cross. Jesus came to demolish the ladder. It's a story of God coming into the world to bless those who do not deserve it and need it the most. And we don't have to do anything for this experience of God with us. It's all about the posture of our heart. And it's when we acknowledge our lack, that's when we discover our need and his presence comes and hovers. When I was in college, when I came to college, I was incredibly overwhelmed. I entered into the great system, and it was just this new reality and way of life that I was just not accustomed to. And I tried very hard for a while to really like um, cling to my faith and what I had um, in my roots. But I came pretty quickly because I, if I'm really honest with myself, I was extremely lonely, and I felt really isolated the more and more that I did it. Um, and there's something inside of me that needed to feel adored, and it needed to be loved. And so I went looking for it really in all the wrong places or all the places that ultimately came back and hurt me. And for the quarters that I went running after that life to be fed, um, I got to the point where I, like, I would wake up each morning and it really felt like each morning I had to just survive for the day. Like waking up was like, it's another day that I just have to get through. Um, the school year ended quickly. This vacation came up to go to Montana with my family. My mom's like, do you want to come? It's your grandpa's birthday. So loved going on road trips, so I was all about it. And I distinctly remember like packing my suitcase. And I'm convinced because it was not me, but something like pulled my arm out. And I remember seeing my Bible, which I hadn't opened in too, far too long. And I just grabbed it and put it in my back. And I just remember thinking, what? But I just had to go. And it was just like this last minute thing that I got before I left for my trip. And I'll never forget, it was this Monday night that I was sitting in my room that I stayed at when I would visit my grandpa, and um, I just remember looking at it, and it was just kind of like, it was like staring back at me, and I was staring at it, and having this moment, and I <laughs> just remember really like, ah, oh, I feel weird opening you up, because I don't want to deal with that. But it like, the more I stared at it, the more I just felt this like, just pick it up, it's going to be all right. And so I grabbed it, and as I sat, I didn't even open it. It was just like physically putting it in front of me on my bed. As soon as I did that, I just, inside it was just, I, the reality was like, I, I need you. And as I said, I need you. I've never felt, and maybe you've felt this before, but it was just the most overwhelming sense of goosebumps that just covered my body. I mean, they just erupted, and I like physically felt something was here, and I could not ignore, and I cannot not argue that, like, I know that God was sitting with me on that bed and he was hanging out with me. And he didn't come with guilt and he didn't come with shame and he didn't come with these negative things. All that he came with was, Becca, I love you. You're my beloved. You're my daughter. And I'm here. And it's going to be okay. And, and it was in that moment that I realized that God was really for me. I never thought he'd want anything to do with me after that season in college, but all it took was turning my heart towards him. 
And I think I became convinced, like Eve did in the garden, that who was tempted by the devil to doubt that God was for her. Like, I believe that I had believed that lie as well for a really long time. And I believe it's a lie that haunts our humanity today. But it showed me in that moment that it was for me. As time has gone on, I found myself in many other places that Jesus acknowledges here in the Beatitudes. But he continues to reveal himself to me. And he continues to love me and show up and be there. And I've come to know that his presence is far more tangible and real than I think I ever thought it could be and realized. I rewrote the Beatitudes in modern day language. Don't worry, I'm not going to make a habit of rewriting the Bible, <laughs> be a heretic. But I really felt like I needed to rewrite them in modern day language so that us as a group could really grasp the gravity of what I think Jesus was really saying um, in first century. And so this is what I came up with. So bear with me. Blessed are the three billion people who live on less than $2 a day, for they are the future of the world. Blessed are those who've been cheated on, who've experienced divorce, who've lost a friend or family member, who've been neglected by the community, who've cried alone in bed more nights than they can count, who've been kicked out and persecuted by the church, for they will experience proximity to God like no one else. Blessed are those who are weak, who are suffering, who are stuck in abusive relationships, who are chemo patients with no hair, who hear hateful words spoken about who they are, who feel stumped on and can't stand up, for they will encounter God in a special way. Blessed are those who have given away their bodies, who've wronged family members, who've hurt their closest friends, been pregnant too many times at the wrong times, who've thrown away their life for the world and want to get back to right living, for God is head over heels in love with him. Blessed are the handicapped, the deformed, the special needs. They are the object of God's affection. And blessings on the ugly, the fat, the odd, the bald, the elderly, the shy, the awkward, the failures, the felons, the alcoholics, the drug addicts, the uneducated, the minimum wage fast food workers, the unemployed, the bankrupt, the in down all food stamps, the out of work homeless because the kingdom of God, the gracious saving presence of God is open to you right here and right now. That is what Jesus is saying. And as many of us have listened to this list of people that Jesus is describing, you either know, dang, that's me. Or we're putting up our skyscraper-high walls and don't budge at all at letting him into the just the needs that we have. I think it's easier for us to look at places like third world countries where we can see the physical outward signs of poverty and of malnutrition and disease and death that's taking over. But the suffering in rich nations in the Western world, the bride of Christ suffers far more internally than externally. She carries a deep-seated loneliness, and it comes in the form of internal psychological pain, and it's extremely relevant, and it's deep, and it's real, and it's just as real as the bloated belly, as people starving, and disease, and death. It is real, but we keep it locked up on the inside. And if you find yourself realizing you're like Eve and Adam in the garden, who believed the lie that the serpent told that created doubt in God, I beg you to ask him tonight, to show you how he's been here for you the whole time. Your reality is that God's presence is with you and he wants to give you glimpses of his kingdom of heaven. And I can't let you read this text with me tonight and have you doubt the truth that I know that Jesus speaks of. And I know for me, it took, a t it took time, 
But I know that for the unraveling of doubt, it started when I had to actually address the hard memories that I didn't want to talk about, that I kept locked up for a really unhealthy long time. Um, I would just say, if you don't talk about things, I really encourage you to talk about things because it just... The Lord wants freedom for you way faster than you're, and he just wants in. Um, and, I mean, these are the memories that you've blocked out and you just put under the rug and try to remove from your memory. And when I decided to open them back up and look at them, that's when he let me see where he was with me. And as I gauged myself in the memories and I would try to remember what was going on and how I was feeling in the midst of them, I asked Jesus, where are you in the room right now? Jesus, where are you in the room? Where are you in the bedroom? When I'm getting raped and I feel extremely taken advantage of. And he showed me where I was. And I said, Jesus, what are you saying to me in this room right now? And he told me, Becca, you are pure, you're a new creation, and you are worthy of my love. That's what Jesus told me. He will show you where he is if you ask him. He's always been there. He's closer than you know. And his words that he can say to you will start to heal your heart. I never knew what love was until I met love. God is love. I knew, I never knew the meaning of adore until I met the one who adores. And if we look back at the scriptures, and we look, and we, when we go and we come to Jesus and we open up our vaulted hearts, his presence can come crashing in like a tidal wave and he takes up the vast empty space and I believe that he wants to put life back in your veins tonight. He's saying, he's calling us home. He wants us to come home. He's waiting for the bridegroom to be reunited with the bride. And if we look back in scriptures, he can tell us what this encounter is going to be like. God's saving gracious presence and reality comes over our life and we get to taste the kingdom of heaven. We get to be comforted. We get to inherit earth. Our spirits are become satisfied to the point of abundance. We receive mercy, is shown to us. He calls us sons and daughters, sons and daughters of the Most High King. And as we see God, I believe we will gaze with wide open eyes at our Creator, and what we see will cause us just to become undone. We'll become undone because we'll speak the words that we need to hear so bad, they're gonna pierce through any kind of walls and circumstances that you have before Him. And as we come undone in his presence, I believe that we'll know, 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 we'll know that he loves us. And I think that his desire is to possess our very nature with his love so that our nature begins to ultimately reflect and look like him who is love. I think we'll become so ruined and wrecked by love that it'll cause us to run full force into darkness and the light that's inside of us will explode in the world because that's all for love's sake. And that response is just natural. None of it comes out of this religious mindset that says, a good Christian's going to go tell the lost about the poor. Like, no, the gospel is not built on if-then statements. If I do this, then God will bless me. No, that, when you meet him, those thoughts fly out the door. I, I firmly believe that when we realize the grace that we receive and what he did for us on the cross, it bursts a hunger in us on the inside that it's just like we have to go. We have to go partake in the gospel and tell people what we've experienced because it's, we just want other people to encounter the encounters that we've had with him. We become more like him in these ways, and that's when we really get to know his true character. 
And I believe our God wants to release so many radical acts of loving and kindness towards others through us. He wants to give us spiritual eyes to be able to see the people who need him, who are in need, to show them that God is with them in the same way he is with you. He wants others to be able to have a glimpse of the garden in the same way that you get to enjoy the kingdom of heaven. If we embrace the Sermon on the Mount, our life no longer is our own, and yet I think it becomes the most fulfilling, exciting, and joyful life we could ever imagine. And the other thing, or the last thing I want us to hear tonight is we are reflections of God's love. Becoming the incarnation of love is how we become the hands and the feet of Jesus to dying humanity. The love of God manifested through you is really what people need to experience. They need it so bad. And I think that can be someone's experience of God with them even. But we can't release love if we've never met the one who created love and is love. And my hope for myself is that I am become somebody that's so close to God's very heartbeat that I feel what others feel. That I want to live as if I'm hidden in his very heart where his thoughts become my thoughts and his ways become my ways. And I hope that for all of us in this room as well. Many of us think ministry is just like really grand adventure and it's really to do all these like crazy things honestly like ministry is just simply loving the person in front of you it's about stopping for the one and being the fragrance of jesus to a lost and dying world god always just says your job is just to love people it looks like coming alongside them giving them a hug hugging them listening to them just being present being a listener when we go love on others what we're really doing is loving jesus back and all the people that we've covered in our list in the Beatitudes, there is Jesus inside of every one of those struggling people. Well, we must love that Jesus, serve that Jesus, and look after that Jesus. We can't forget his voice when he says, whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you've done for me. Friends, this is not the world's gospel at all. But this is Jesus' gospel, and it's an upside-down kingdom, and it's available to anybody and everybody. I read this book over the weekend that wrecked me in so many ways for the best. But it's written by this woman, Heidi, who I talked about earlier. And she's this missionary out in Mozambique right now. And her, her book, um, it's called Compelled by Love. She really had a beautiful um, paragraph that I want to read to you guys as we close. The Lord is calling for servant lovers. Who will call in the outcasts? Who will go into the dark corners of the world and compel them to come home? And they will come. Who will go and leave their life of comfort and call on the broken? Who will go and be a learner? Who will go among those who are mourning and lay their life down for Jesus? The Lord wants his house to be full. And it is time for us to go to the poor, to the broken, to the homeless, to the dying, to the lonely, and call them in. Thousands and thousands of sent out ones need to go out to the darkest places, to the poorest places, to the forgotten places, because the wedding feast is about to begin. So many still must be called, so many are still mourning and need to be comforted by the Father's love. What is our motivation for ministry going to be? The Lord is looking for servant lovers, people who are passionate and filled with love for him, people who desire and are longing for the bridegroom's return, people who can already taste the feast and know it's about to begin. Let us consider how the streaming on the mount can create revival in our lives and in the city. 
Will we hold fast to the truth that God is with us? That his kingdom of heaven surrounds us and that our God is for us. Let's bow our heads and pray. Thank you, Jesus, that you meet us where we are. That our faith is founded upon you coming down the ladder to us in the lowest of the lowest places. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for drawing close to us. Bring us in, Jesus. I pray that our walls that we hold up will crumble down in this room tonight and that we will allow your Holy Spirit to usher into them. God, may we hear the resounding hope in our ears tonight. May your presence be enough. May we encounter your presence tonight, God. And I just pray in Jesus' name that whatever we are entangled by in this room will be broken off, God. And that your saving grace is coming and ushering in, God. Mold us and shape us into your image so that we can be a vessel of love to this world. Breathe life in your spirit of fire in us, God, and take us deeper. Let our hearts on, let our, light our heart, hearts on fire for you. May this kingdom of Kevin come.